the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, while Israel is gathered together to repent and seek God, the Philistines attack, but the one true God defends them. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 7. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7. First Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel 7. Remember 1 and 2 Samuel, they were originally one book, so it's hard to divide the themes up between 1 and 2 Samuel. But 1 Samuel seems to focus a little bit more on lessons from the heart. David is a man after God's own heart, and we'll get into him a little bit more in 2 Samuel, but in 1 Samuel, it seems to teach us good lessons and bad lessons from the heart, and we've been looking at quite a few negative lessons, but we're going to look at a good one, a heart that God can help. Now, chapter 6 started with the Philistines sending the ark away and ended with the Israelites at Beth Shemesh also sending the ark away. In other words, neither the Philistines nor the people of Beth Shemesh repented when God dealt with them. And so, sadly, things continue as they were in Israel before the ark had been captured, even though it was back in Israeli hands again. But, you know, something happens when you've replaced God with religion, and then all of a sudden that religion is stripped from you. It leaves you with a leanness in your soul that's no longer hidden by form and ritual. And when someone responds to that by crying out to the Lord... It reveals a heart that God can finally help. So we're going to look at that as Israel returns to the Lord in chapter 7. Anytime you come back to the Lord, you can always expect that the enemy will be right on your heels. And so it's no surprise here that in verse 7 it says, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, it says here that the Philistines did this when they heard that all Israel had gathered together. It's possible that Israel gathering together had violated some agreement not to organize, not to assemble. I don't know. But whatever the reason, they didn't like it, and they decided to put a stop to it. And so I would encourage you, I'd warn you and encourage you, never be surprised when the enemy attacks fiercely just after you make an important commitment to the Lord. 
frequently I have people who contact me and they'll say, Pastor Will, we prayed, we prayed on Sunday and my week's gone horrible. <laughs> and I have to say, well, that makes sense. That makes sense because the enemy, he already knows he can't take on the Lord. He knows he can't beat the Lord. And now you've aligned with the Lord and the Lord's ally with you. He knows he can't beat that. So he's going to try to discourage and derail you before you can very get very far in the right direction. He's going to try to get you to run away again before you get more solidified in your alliance with the Lord. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 commands us to be sober and vigilant because our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy doesn't wait for us to settle into our changed life, these new decisions, this new way of living. He doesn't play fair. He wants to get us to run. He wants to get us to give up. Now, thankfully, Israel doesn't run. But they do know they're doomed if the Lord doesn't help them. They said to Samuel, cease not to cry out to the Lord our God for us. That he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. The, the phrase cease not means please don't be silent to ask God for help. We can't do this on our own. We did that last time. We brought the ark with us. It was a mess. So please don't be silent. Maybe you do this. Someone shares with you a struggle they have, you pray with them, and you say to them, you know, hey, you know, I'll be praying for you. And you mean it, right? But then life gets in the way, you get busy and you forget. Don't forget. Don't forget to cry out to the Lord when someone shares something with you. I know in my younger years, you know, I have someone would share something with me and I would say, well, I'll pray for you about that. And I mean, if it was really rough, I would probably remember it. But a lot of times, I didn't mean to forget it. I meant what I said, but I would forget. More than ever, as I get older, and I see the power of prayer. I see how God moves mightily in people's lives. I tell myself, I say, Will, remember to pray for that person. Don't forget. Don't be silent when they have a need. You've been in a fire before. I imagine most of you have been. It's not easy. It means a lot when someone tells you, I've been praying for you. Because you can feel very alone when you're in the fire. So when someone else tells you they're in the fire, don't be silent. Pray for them. Remember to pray for them. Well, I love how Israel also says here, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us. Very often when we study the Bible, we see people get in a mess and they come to, the, to godly men or women that they know and they'll say, pray to the Lord your God. And it'll say that, pray to the Lord your God. Israel's genuine repentance is shown here that they own the Lord. He is our God. Even in this trial, even in this danger, even in this fear. I say, pray to the Lord, our God. I love that. It shows that they'd really genuinely come back to the Lord. And Samuel doesn't forget. Verse 9, it says, and Samuel took a, King James says, sucking lamb. It, It just means a lamb who was still on its mother's milk. And that was a lamb that could be offered as an offering. Unlike Beth Shemesh's disobedient offerings that violated Scripture, Samuel's offering is in accordance with Scripture. In Leviticus 22:27, it tells you that in these unique circumstances, you can offer one that's of this age. And so that's what Samuel does. And he offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. Now, a burnt offering was always to be holy unto the Lord. Holy, W-H-O, not H-O. Holy means completely. The idea was, is God ate the whole thing. 
You offered it to God and he ate the whole thing. And obviously the Lord's not physically eating food, but that meant that the entire sacrifice, every bit of it cooked on the altar. You didn't get a portion to eat. The priest didn't get a portion to eat. Everything went to the Lord because what it symbolized was absolute surrender to the Lord's leadership, to the Lord's rule in your life. And so Samuel takes this and he offers it as a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord, saying, the whole nation is yielded to you, Lord. They are completely surrendered to you right now. Please answer them. In other words, this is different than Beth Shemesh. This is no party. This is no celebration here. Not that it's bad to do a celebration in the right circumstances. But this was an offering of surrender, saying, Lord, whatever happens, we will continue to follow you. But please come to our aid. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And I love it. And the Lord, King James says, heard him, but it means the Lord responded to him. God had been answering Samuel for many years. That's what made him so well-known in Israel is that this is a time when the word of God was, there was a famine of the word of God. No one was speaking for the Lord. And so when Samuel all of a sudden started saying, hey, I've got a word from the Lord, that was new. It was amazing. Wow, God's speaking to us still. And so Samuel had been hearing God answer him for many years. But this is the first time in a long time that God has replied to the nation. Isn't God good? They don't have to earn their way back into his good graces. They don't have to achieve a certain sense of spirituality before God will bless them and speak to them and answer again. I love that scripture in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says when we are faithless, literally it means when we are unbelieving, he is faithful still for he cannot deny himself. It's who he is. He's just faithful. He's always honoring his word. He always keeps his promises. Well, I love how God responds. Verse 10, this is so cool. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. So hear this. The nation, they didn't get to hear God's answer to Samuel. Only Samuel heard it. They didn't hear God's answer. They went out to fight not knowing what God's answer was. Lord, will you please rescue us from the Philistines? They didn't know that God said, I will yet. They're out there getting in line for battle. They don't have the answer yet. And yet God had told Samuel, yeah, I'll deliver them. But they didn't know any of that. I want to encourage you. Don't get discouraged if it looks like the Lord isn't answering or that he might be too late. Don't get discouraged. You only know the parts that, part that's in front of you right now. The only thing that most Israelites saw right now was the enemy running at them, listening to the commands to get in wherever they were supposed to be settled, to their part to defend, to fight. That's all they knew. They didn't know what was going on behind them back at, at Mizpah. So recognize that, that when you look around and you go, it looks like the Lord's late or it looks like the Lord's not coming through. You only see what you only see. There's more going on. Don't get discouraged. Well, while that's going on, it says, as Samuel was offering that, the Philistines drew near, but, I love that, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. Boy, I would love to watch that DVD. Like, what does that even mean? I mean, it sounds cool. What does it mean? I don't know for sure. So thundered, it means to make a loud roaring sound. I mean, was it like, I mean, like there's passages in the Old Testament that says the Lord roars from heaven. 
Is that what it sounded like? That had been terrifying. A good old Lion King show at Disney's nice, but not when I'm not expecting it. Sometimes when you see the, you know, the beautiful morning and the sun kind of breaking through the clouds or the sun setting at night, you know, and I look out and I'll think, ah, rapture would be perfect right now. Like I just, I mean, it's beautiful, Lord. It's like the perfect setting. And you almost want, you know, you almost can imagine the sound of a trumpet. But this, the phrase with a great thunder just means with a great voice. He made a loud roaring sound with a great voice. Was it a tornado? Was it a a storm? Was it lightning? Or was it just, did he just roar? I, I don't know. I always kind of get my image when I read this, the Chronicles of Narnia, and you get to the parts where Aslan will roar, and everybody just kind of, and I don't know. But he said he did it upon the Philistines. You see, unlike Israel, who had repented at this point, well, the Philistines didn't repent when God judged them. They were still his enemies. And so the Lord makes it clear that he is still opposed to them with a terrifying roar from heaven. Now, there's one other thing you got to consider here, if you're a Philistine. Your God, Dagon, he's supposed to be the Lord of the storm, not the Israeli God. So this thunder that's coming from heaven or this roaring that's coming from heaven, that's where you're looking for your hope. And now all of a sudden the enemy, his God, does this to you? That just wouldn't be terrifying. That'd be hope destroying. Now, conversely, can you imagine what that would have been like for an Israelite? I mean, you're shaking in your boots, but you're trusting the Lord. Lord, whatever happens, we're not going to leave you. We're going to follow you. You're our God. And then at what seems like the last moment possible, the Lord shows up like this. The word there, discomfited, it means to throw into a panic, to throw into confusion, to cause a rout. When the Philistines hear this sound, whatever it was, from heaven, they are terrified. They just run. Can you imagine what it would be like to be an Israelite? And you're wondering, this might be my last breath, but Lord, I am going to go down trusting you. And then all of a sudden the Lord comes through like that. (laughs) That's... Like I said, I want the DVD. Like, I don't just want to go to heaven and have somebody tell me. Like, I want to see it. I want to know what it's like to be in your shoes, to experience that. Talk about a change of perspective. Verse 11, the men of Israel, they went out of Mizpah. Charge, men, they're on the run. And they pursued the Philistines and they smote them until they came to Beth Car. I don't know where Beth Car is. It means the house of sheep. And wherever the house of sheep was, the writer shares it as if it's a huge inroads into Philistine territory. Archaeologists haven't found this place. Like That's why I say we don't know where it is. But the point is, the writer goes, that's a big deal. In fact, it was so much of a big deal that Samuel holds a special ceremony to commemorate this awesome victory. In verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it between Mizpah and Shen. And Shen is another unknown location deep in Philistine territory. And he sets this stone between Mizpah and wherever it was, the army stopped, basically. And he called the name of it, the stone, Eben-Ezer, saying, Hitherto has the Lord helped us. Eben-Ezer means stone of help or witness of God's help. 
It was to be a memorial. You may have those in your home, like maybe something to remind you of a special anniversary or maybe a pictures of all your kids, reminds you of them. There, we have lots of things like that that we keep. And that's what the stone would be. Every time someone would see it, it would remind them of this amazing thing that God did when they repented and cried out to him. Hitherto means up to this point. Why are we commemorating this? Why is this a witness? Because up to this point, the Lord has helped us. In other words, Samuel's saying, listen, guys, the Lord has always been there for us. And the only reason we're here right now is because he brought us this far. So let's keep walking with him so he can bring us to the finish line. That's what he's saying. Now, if that phrase Ebenezer strikes a chord in your mind, well, that's because the beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount, has a line that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And that uh, song, uh, that part of that song is based on this verse. And one of the reasons I love to sing that song, it's one of my favorites, is because this isn't just Israel's story. Oh, yes, this was their specific Ebenezer. But we have our own Ebenezers, don't we? Where we can look back and go, God, you've been with me the whole way. And this was a big thing. And Lord, I don't want to stop here. I want to go all the way to the finish line. And I, I know I need your help to do that. So I'm going to keep following you. And we all have moments like that. And I think it's important to recognize how the Lord has helped you to get where you are, to remember what he's already done. And so I love that song because it challenges me to do that like anew every time we sing it. And I, I don't know about you, but it always makes me stand a little straighter to trust the Lord in the challenges that still lie ahead of me. You know, when I sing that, here I raise my Ebenezer hither, by thy help I have come. Lord, I'm standing here right now singing this song because you brought me this far. And so, yeah, I've got things in front of me right now that are hard, and I don't know how I'm going to get through them, but you know what? You know what? Hither by thy help, I'm here right now, and you will get me to the finish line. And so when I sing it, it always makes me stand a little bit straighter. I always want to forge ahead with the Lord. And so that's what Samuel is desiring to instill in the nation. We've come so far with the Lord's help. Let's keep going all the way to the end. Well, because of this huge victory, Israel is now free from the Philistines. And so the Philistines were subdued. It means to become conquered subjects. Again, how the tide has turned. They became Israel's subjects and they came no more into the borders of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. As long as Samuel was alive, God fought Israel's battles. And when God fights your battles, you cannot lose. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel, they were all restored to Israel. From Ekron even unto Gath, and the borders thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Again, now it, it kind of indicates that there's a new deal in place. I don't know what it was where the Philistines were the conquered subjects, but this new deal restored Israel's freedoms. It restored Israel's land. And what's so cool is it shows us that what God said and promised would happen is true. He said he would begin to deliver the Philistine, them from the Philistines under Samson, and he did that. But he said he would finish it under Samuel's leadership. And so Samuel's finishing that which Samson started. Now, it mentions here at the end that there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. These are different than the Philistines. The Amorites were Canaanite tribes. Um, they were the ones that Israel didn't wipe out 
and they were a constant thorn in Israel's side. But it mentions here that none of them messed with Israel during Samuel's leadership. That's how good things were in Israel. None of these other little small people groups that were always a thorn in Israel's side, none of them messed with Israel during Samuel's leadership. Samuel's leadership was long. It says in verse 15 that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, almost 60 years. That's the longest of any of the judges in the period when they led Israel. And it mentions here, verse 16, that Samuel went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and then Gilgal and then Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. Unlike Eli, who just sat on a throne and waited for people to come to him, Samuel was a true servant. He made himself available in central locations for when people had needs. And this would include making difficult legal decisions. If they had matters that in the lower courts couldn't be solved, they didn't know what God's word had to say about it, they'd come to Samuel. It included having times where he just taught God's word to the people. He had times where people came for prayer and he prayed with them. He made himself available. He went to the people and served them. And that's what biblical leadership is about. It's about being a servant, not being served. And then lastly, it mentions verse 17, and his return, Samuel's return, was to Ramah, for that's where his house was. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. So when it says he went in a circuit, he wasn't always in one of these towns. He did spend a large quantity of time also at home. And so why did he have to return home? Well, three reasons. First off, Samuel wasn't the answer to all of Israel's needs. The Lord was. Samuel's job was to point them in the right direction, not direct their lives. And, and so if, if you serve the Lord in, in, in a leadership role, you know, of any way, doesn't have to be here at our church, but if you serve the Lord in a leadership role, your job is to put yourself out of a job. You know, it's to equip those you lead so they can do the same for others. So they can then disciple people on how to lead. Who can disciple people on how to lead. Hey, it sounds like a Bible verse. Paul tells Timothy, teach faithful men who will teach faithful men to be faithful men. And so that's why he wasn't supposed to be the rock star, the hero. He was supposed to point them to the Lord. Second reason, serving in ministry never means neglecting your family. Now, serving in ministry means sacrifices. And uh, you know that's something me and Beverly talked about before we got married. We knew that there would be sacrifices, and we were happy to make those sacrifices, and we still are. We knew that that would affect our whole family. And we also knew that God would provide for that. And he has. But serving in ministry doesn't mean neglecting your family. Samuel still had responsibilities as a husband and as a father. And being faithful with that required dedicating time to it. It doesn't just happen. And so if serving in church or outside ministries is more exciting to you than engaging with your spouse or discipling your kids... Can I say that your priorities are in the wrong place? I love it when, you know, I see someone's life grow here. It's, it's like a great reward, you know? I, I love it when people get saved, but I'm a pastor. So my, my greatest joy is seeing, you know, people grow in the Lord, watching them grow in the Lord. It's just, it's, you know, it's a high for me. But my greatest joy, as far as ministry goes, is watching that happen in my kids' lives. Watching that happen in my wife's life. That's my greatest joy. And it should be yours too. If it's not, then your love is in the wrong place. You know, you have a mistress um, called ministry, and and it's in a place it should not be. Third reason, what mentions there, he built an altar unto the Lord. The third reason he returned home is because Samuel needed to cultivate his own relationship with the Lord. 
You can't give what you don't have. And even more important, Jesus is our first love, not the stuff we do for Jesus. He is our first love. You know how many times the Lord has had to remind me, he said, Will, I just want you. But God, you know, I want to do really good at this, and you know, I'm not doing a good job. Well, I didn't die so you could do a good job of ministry. I died for you. I just want you. And because Samuel happily served others but kept his priorities in the right place, his heart was also in a place where God could help him lead the nation faithfully. So as we close, you know, I ask you, is your heart in a place where God can help change your life or use you in service? Is it in a place that he can help? The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So what condition is your heart in? Lord, I think of the prophet. He cried out and he said, Lord, I've heard of your ways. Read about them all the time. I do stand in awe of your deeds. The things you did, they're amazing. But Lord, could you renew them in my day? Oh Lord, how we long to be in a place where we can see you move in our lives. To have hearts that you can help that aren't pride-filled, Lord, that aren't self-sufficient, but rather, Lord, are humble, repentant, loyal to you. We want to see you move in our day. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.